Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context and the new in the new covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. Hey folks, this is uh, Cross the Crown Podcast coming at you with episode 37. Uh, we are diving back into the Sermon on the Mount today. We are actually, I won't say wrapping it up, but we're, we're hitting the last chapter, chapter 7 today. We've been going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount, so if you've not been able to, to join us up to this point, feel free to, to skip back a few episodes. Like I said, this is uh, uh, episode 37. What, Doug, how many, this is uh, four, five, six. Seven? Is this the seventh one in the Sermon on the Mount? I think. Uh, I don't know. I've lost fifth, track. Fifth or, fifth or sixth. Yeah. So, <laughs> what I originally thought would be a short series on the Sermon on the Mount is turned into something bigger, and and I think better actually because of the fact that we're not rushing through so fast to where we're missing a lot. Uh, and, and but again, as we've seen, there are times where we're having to speed it up a little bit, and we could probably go through a, a lot more meticulously. And dive into it, but that's not the point for us right here, just in this in this show today. Um, <laughs> Doug, how are you? Do I need to introduce you again? Let's see. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is Doug Gooden, co-host. Uh, he's the pastor of Front Range Alliance Church. Uh, he, I, you know what? I gotta admit something. Every time I say that, I think of Star Wars, the, the, the Rebel the Alliance. alliance. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> sorry, so got to put that out there real quick. Just let you know that's what I think every time I mention your church. <laughs> so Doug, Doug is also uh, an author. He's He's got several books out, and he's working on several more. And uh, uh, how would you say, let's see, editor and, and publisher uh, at uh, uh, what used to be called New Covenant Media? For those of you who are old school NCT folks, you know New Covenant Media, but now it's Cross to Crown Ministries. Well, Cross the Crown was around for a while before it, it took on New Covenant Media. And if you've been searching for some good books to read, go to crossthecrown.org, or you can go on to Amazon. You can find the New Covenant Media or Cross the Crown books and check those out as well. But you'll also see Doug's name on some of those books as the author. Uh, Doug is also a professor slash president of the seminary there in Colorado. And Doug, what are you guys teaching right now? We are on summer break, except oh. for Greek students. Uh, they are still trudging through <laughs> the end. They're in the final uh, about six more weeks of Greek one for our current okay. students. So about okay. uh, definitives, and then we get to translations, which will be a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, it is. Do you guys, uh, how, how many, so when I was at seminary and we did Greek we did uh, maybe two chapters out of a basic grammar uh, a, a week. And uh, you, how many how many chapters would you guys say you go go through in your grammar? Uh, we're we're about half that pace. We go about one a week. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because none of our students are full time. They don't. They, mm -hmm. You know, they're professional, uh, uh, or at least they have a they have a job. They have to have a job and uh, and support themselves. And uh, so they yeah, that would be a. That would be taxing to get those yeah, two chapters a week. Right, right. Have you seen uh, those? You and you probably have heard of them. The, the Greek summers, where um, my old school, they they do a thing where you come for how many weeks? It's only for oh, it's a short short amount of time. I mean, it's like a month, 
but it's a whole month of Greek immersion where you're basically, that's the only course you're doing and you're just flying through Greek. And, and I, I remember bumping into some of the students and they're just, they're, they're on edge coffee and they're sweating <laughs> and they're trying to get all of it down in one, one month. So they got, I mean, whole Greek one type course in one month. And I'm like, wow, that's just crazy. Just crazy. And I used to ask him afterwards, did you retain any of that? Did you, <laughs> do you know, right. you know what you're doing? Was that just all short term memory? That's how I was with Hebrew. When I went to Hebrew, it was all short-term memory that got me through. <laughs> yep, me too. So what you been up to, Doug? Well, I'm kind of going back to my roots this week in ministry. Uh, our music director resigned a couple weeks ago. Oh. And uh, we, uh, and I, my first ministry was a music and youth pastor role. And uh, and I've I've had my, my toes in music ministry for the last, now and then a little bit here and there, but uh, largely uh, removed from it. So I'm going to run the, the team, run the music ministry for the foreseeable future, kind of wrap my arms around what where we're at. And um, and if I want to make changes or we as the elders want to make changes, now's the time. And then mm-hmm. uh, somebody in to, uh, to lead that. So I won't do this long term, but I'm actually kind of enjoying it, you know, putting the service together and thinking through different dynamics. And tonight I'm running rehearsal. First time uh-huh. I've done that in years. <laughs> and uh, and that'll be fun. Everyone is both excited and a little scared, I think. Maybe by everyone, I mean my wife and my kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're breaking out the harmonica? That's right. Add in the, uh, the accordion, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw a guy uh, recently playing the accordion with an amp attached to it, and he was, uh, he, he was rocking it. Nice. Um, so <laughs> So uh, we went to a creation museum yesterday, uh, and I thought it was funny because when I posted some pictures on Facebook, people were like, wait a minute, where are you? And I'm like, San Diego. We've got a creation museum here. People evidently don't seem to know that we have a I creation museum. I didn't know museum. that either. Yeah, no. yeah. You, you know the um, uh, creation apologist uh, Henry Morris? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So he's the one that started it here. He, he's, hmm. he's the one that started it here. It's, it's a pretty neat little uh, – it's nothing as big as like the Ark or, or, or anything that Ken Ham has, but uh, it's, it's uh, tucked away – in this little area, and it's, I guess it's in relationship to a, a, a laboratory that they have there, but it's one of those, it's this building, and my, my daughter was, was joking about it, uh, and my son, because the fact that it doesn't look big on the outside, but it's one of those places where you go on the inside, and you're like, how do they fit all this into this building, and it's pretty neat, because there's a, it's not just a, a creation, but they also got a, a replica of the tabernacle, I'm not sure, did you mm. see the pictures I posted? No, huh? You know, so they got a replica of the inside of the tabernacle there, and the audience sits there. And you, when you walk in, you're encouraged, and they do like uh, field trips for for Christian schools and stuff. So, like the kids, there's this there's this basket there of little stuffed lambs, and the kids are encouraged to take a lamb with them, the little stuffed cute little lamb with them, and go sit down. <laughs> and I'm like telling my kids, you know what happens to this little right. lamb right here, right? <laughs> So, so the I'm knife, like, and I'll just take it right over there. That's right. You see that big fiery pit over there? <laughs> but, but they've got these mannequins, uh, these these figures dressed in, and not like just blank mannequins, but they look like humans and stuff. Dresses the high priest and this other priests. They got a, priestess, priests, and they've got uh, like a lamb there and everything like that. So it, it's they got an ark of the covenant. They've got the holy of holies, the curtains, and the curtains will automatically roll back during the presentation. And I'm really impressed by the the presentation the audio presentation 
is 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 actually very 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 solid talking about how christ is the fulfillment of all these various things i think some places he may go a little too far but for the most part he's it was really solid but uh the creation side was really good too all the you walk through the days of creation and there's all this stuff going on all these things to see uh then they once you get through all the creation it, it, the seven days of creation, six days of creation, the day of rest, and then, then there's this little room you go through, and it's got red light, and it says the fall. And believe it or not, this actually scared my son, my my seven year old, uh, because the the stuff that's on it, seeing all the the what the result of the fall was, and it shows pictures of Hitler, it shows famine, it shows um, uh, criminal activities and stuff like that. But he's like, he's like, uh, can we get out of this room real quick? So yeah, I said that's that's the fall. That's what happened when sin came into the world. All these things came in. So, but it's it's neat because it, it takes you through uh, history. There's this there's this ark of the uh, uh, Noah's ark replica. There's a uh, Tower of Babel um, replica. But what's really cool is just one place in the room. It's this big room, and it's got uh, on the floor. It's got a timeline enameled, you know, in, in, embedded in the ground. And uh, it's got a timeline that shows you all the characters of history, the biblical history, and it keeps on going. And it goes into this archway into the other room. And if you stand one in and you look all the way into the next room, all of time goes right up. And then on the wall where the finally the, the line, the timeline goes through, there's an arrow pointing to the wall. And on the wall is the cross. Mm. And the, the gospel explained there. It says, it's, so their, their point was all is coming to this point. This is the climax. This is the pinnacle of it all. Uh, is the cross, and they give you the gospel in that room, and so it's really, really cool little little thing. And then they have a whole section de- devoted to uh, uh, biology, uh, how 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 we can understand how God made the Bible or made the uh, made the body, and and what the different things it does, and how we can only explain this through uh, the design from God. So really, really neat thing. So I took the kids there; uh, they've been there before, but took them there as they're older because they can understand things. Uh, you can always judge the maturity level of your child. By taking them to a museum over the years, how much they, how squirmy they are, or how much they actually pay attention and read things and stuff, and and so every time we've gone back, they've 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 been more slow going through the museum, absorbing it. And we took our Bible with us, and we we stopped during this creation, and we read through the scriptures with it and, and other parts. So it was really good. It was really good and impactful for them, I think. So that's oh, what we've been doing. Do they have any <laughs> unicorns there? Uh, they did not have any unicorns, but we did go the day before to the safari park here, which is, you know, the wild animal park here. And they do have a, what they call the chubby unicorn, which is the, the, uh, rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, uh, my son is, uh, enamored with unicorns and he said he heard Ken Ham make the case that, uh, there's some word in the Hebrew that yeah. means unicorn that they'd really existed. And, uh, he doesn't like that. I don't necessarily agree with him. So I'm just <laughs> okay. curious. I believe he's right about Kim Ham. I believe Kim Ham tried to make the case for unicorns. Um, and uh, um, d- does your son know that the unicorn is the national animal for Scotland? No, I'm not going to tell him that. He'll he'll yes. pack up and yes. he'll never I see thought, him again. I thought someone was joking with me, and I got online one time and looked, and sure enough, the, the national <laughs> animal is 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 a unicorn. <laughs> so it's okay. All right. All right, so moving on to reality, though. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're looking at Chapter 7. So far, um, you know, let me give a quick summary of where we've been at so far, and specifically in the, specifically in the last few texts. 
Jesus began his sermon um, walking up onto a sermon onto a mountainside and and began to teach the crowd. And as we said, this is reminiscent of of Moses. It harkens back to that. We've seen that in Matthew so far this fulfillment idea where Jesus is fulfilling these these the, the words of the law and the prophets and, and the things that are happening uh, with his exodus to Israel, with his return to exodus to Egypt and his return from Egypt with the slaughter of the unborn. Um, so in various ways, Jesus is continually fulfilling the scriptures. And uh, then we get to Matthew chapter 5 where he gets up there and he begins to preach. He gives the, the Beatitudes. And then he goes through and talks about his relationship to the law and the prophets as being the one who is fulfilling them. He talks about how believers are supposed to be salt and light. And then he talks about the antitheses where he says he states a part of the law. And then he says, but I say unto you, and he gives um, higher law. He abrogates parts of, of Old Testament uh, law, um, puts in a higher standard for believers and then he comes to a section, <clears throat> excuse me, in chapter six, where he gives these three disciplines and talks that we are supposed to continually do these these disciplines as well. But the manner in which we do them determines whether they are righteous deeds or not. And the manner in which you do them is to the glory of God and for his sake and not to be seen by others. And that those who practice those things to be seen by others, to win their win glory from others. Those folks receive the reward, and that's the applause of men, which is fading. But those who do it for the glory of the Lord, um, with a with a heart bent toward Him, they receive their reward from God the Father. Then we went on to talk about possessions, um, and and uh, while many of the the passages uh, are, are labeled here, possessions weren't necessarily the primary focus. I would I would say. It's while, folk, while possessions and money were in there and are the, 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 the topic, the, I think one of the underlying things is the, what is your priorities? Uh, your priority has to be God above all things. And then he talks about anxiety, about how um, we are not to worry about our lives because of the fact that we are to be pursuing with singular focus the kingdom of God. And then he comes over here. Let me, let me finish reading the last verses uh, of, of chapter 6. Verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And now he's going to jump into a famous passage. I would say that John 3.16 is probably the most famous passage in the Bible. But this first verse in chapter 7 probably gives it a pretty good run for its money. I hear it personally uh, quite often because of the fact that I do street evangelism and those who are protesting seem to all know this one Bible verse. Mm. But the problem is, is they're taking it out of context. Um, <laughs> so, so we're going to dive into this, this passage. Uh, and folks may be saying, well, what, what, what is, what is this? How does this, this section link up with the rest of it? How do we see the flow here? Cause I got a chapter break here and a new heading. How does this relate to, to what we've seen already? And I think one of the key things that we're seeing is, is he's going to use the word hypocrite here. And if you've been with us so far, you, you've understood that this is a theme that keeps coming up where Christ is telling his disciples not to be like the hypocrites. Uh, but here he calls the, the listeners uh, hypocrites. And so he's talking about now he's going to jump into one of the symptoms, I think, of being a, a hypocrite, uh, what the result is of this hypocrisy. So let me read this passage, Doug, and then, then get, start getting your comments on this. 
I'm going to read from verses 1 through uh, 6 here. It says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at a splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, look, or let, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before spot pig, or they will trample them under your their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. So you saw my King James was starting to come out there with swine instead of pig. So what would we, Doug, okay, so what is your reply with this uh, don't, uh, don't judge? When, when, we were, when we're told by folks, hey, look, right there specifically, we're told not to judge. So when it comes to someone who, who you say you have a disagreement with them about um, homosexuality, say, because we got Gay Pride Month going on right now. So I'm hearing this a lot. Uh, because of that situation going on right now, people are asking or saying, "Hey, you're being judgmental," and, and Jesus said not to judge. So, what is your reply to that? Hmm. Well, at that level, I would say uh, that's true. It is not my place to judge you. I am not your judge. Uh, that's not good for you because I can be bought, I can be persuaded, I can be manhandled, I can be defeated, and I don't know everything. Uh, but there is a judge who makes the laws and you will someday stand before him and give an account. And uh, he is omniscient. He is unpersuaded by appeals uh, to any fallacy. And uh, and you're going to give an account for your homosexual or whatever other sin you're committing to him. So from that perspective, yeah, I'm not your judge. Mm-hmm. But we need to understand what words mean. And like you said, the context and the, mm-hmm. and the flow here. Uh, to judge, that's used in several different ways. One is the way I was just using it, and that's condemn. And the uh, the high king, the authority, God himself has the authority to condemn sinners and uh, and mete out punishment for those sins. My role is not your role. That's his role. So when we stand before him and he says, enter into the lake of fire, he will do that uh, as a, an act of condemnation, which the word judge can mean. Uh, it can also mean simply to distinguish or discern, to uh, mm-hmm. to judge, you know, is this blue or is this green? Well, I, I make a judgment uh, by by observing it and comparing it to what green and blue are, and then I can say this is blue or this is green kind of thing. And we certainly are to uh, to discern things. Um, but in the, in the flow of the context here, he has said something similar already. I think it's, uh, it's, it's getting back to the attitude. Uh, just as you recapped the earlier sections, attitude mm-hmm. was so important. In, in in fasting, he 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 says, you know, um, don't mourn and and walk around moping so that everybody knows you're fasting. But instead, put on the put on your your shirt, take a shower, look good, and uh, and and don't draw attention to your fasting. Um, and same thing with your praying and so on. It, it, it's about what what your where your motivation is. Same thing here, when you make judgments, when you make evaluations of sin and sinners. Uh, your attitude should not be haughty, should not be prideful. It should not be as though it's your law they're breaking. Uh, mm-hmm. We are, we must, the only way we can preach the gospel is to call sinners to repentance. We must, in that sense, discern and judge that they are sinning. 
but it must be a humble uh, approach, not a, a, a pompous approach. And the, the clarifying phrase is the second part of it, in the way you will be judged by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. I think that's parallel, similar to uh, what he, he said earlier about uh, asking forgiveness and giving forgiveness, rather. Mm-hmm. If you forgive others, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't, then he will not forgive you. And we talked there about how uh, if you are a, a saved, transformed, converted person, you've received God's forgiveness, you are going to be forgiving. Yeah. Same thing here. If you've received God's grace, then you're not going to turn around and have a, a haughty, accusatory, condemning attitude towards sinners. Yeah, right. The fifth, uh, fifth beatitude is, is uh, um, uh, the, the, those... <laughs> blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy um now i think i think one of the things that people stumble on in this right here is because of the fact that they do take it out of context if they would only just read the preceding the, the, the following verses they would find how christ is qualifying this uh and and it's interesting that he uses the term here that the splinter is in the brother's eye and not just a stranger or an opponent, um, someone who's on the other side, but it's a brother. So it seems to be that this is in the context of people who are within the community of faith here, uh, that, that, that you're trying to correct their sin, uh, trying to—and to, to, and I don't see him discouraging this either in this passage about judging it rightly uh, or, or helping as long as it's in a context of love. love and a, a, not a hypocritical um, judgmentalism uh, that's that's going on here. Uh, is that is that the case? Do you see this as as, as a, a believer being told not to judge an unbeliever, or hypocritically, or a believer not to hypocritically judge an un, a, a fellow believer? Do you see is a relationship between believers here, or 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 not? Is that just too much into the word brother? Um, well, I would say it would apply to both. I think our attitude, we shouldn't be hypocritical with anybody and we shouldn't be arrogantly mm-hmm. condemned of either. But uh, no, I think the, bro- the word brother carries weight. It's similar. Mm-hmm. Paul says to the Galatians, uh, if any- anyone is caught in sin, restore him gently. Right. Be careful that you too do not fall into temptation. Right. Um, so I think it's that same kind of mindset. Uh, again, we are we are to, um, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us, we are to make sure that no one comes short of, of the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're to rebuke, uh, we're repeatedly told in the New Testament to rebuke others in mm-hmm. the church. Well, you can't rebuke someone for sin without seeing the sin, calling it sin, and saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. So... Uh, and and like I said, you can't call an unbeliever to the gospel either without saying that you are right. in sin. Right. So in either case, our attitude must be, it's not my law that's been broken. I'm not the offended party here. You don't give an account to me. So I'm not your judge, but I am going to explain to you that you have failed to please the master. And I want you to be reconciled to him, whether that's initial reconciliation in eternal life or you're his, but now you're, there's an estrangement because of your sin. Come back and, and, and walk righteously. Either way, it involves judgment, but not condemnation. Yeah. I think there's a familiarity with this passage when we look at it in conjunction with um, the, the, the fasting, the prayer, and the almsgiving, where, where Jesus is telling them how not to do it. 
and then telling them and he, well, he tells them you're supposed to do it but don't do it like them this is how you're supposed to do it and this is seems to be some some familiar territory here because he's he's doing the same thing he's telling them uh, how they're not supposed to do it and then he later on goes tells them how to do it at the end of this passage how they're supposed to judge or to help pull that splinter out of the, the, the brother's eye and again the hypocrisy thing comes into play at how not to do it in a hypocritical manner here. Um, let's look at those words right there. The, the, and I think it's interesting wordplay. The, uh, uh, the splinter being being a small, and I, it, Jesus is giving us a qualification to don't judge or else, and, and let me just back up, so that you won't be judged. Folks understand that we're saying you won't be judged. It's not by the person that you're talking to or others around you. This is this is the, the divine judgment um, that we're talking about, just, just as, as we've previously seen. Um, in this, this this sermon on the mount, but the splinter is a small, tiny little splinter. Um, and I know that if you've ever gotten any eyelashes in your eye, it's funny how that small little thing just causes such an irritation. But uh, here he is saying there's a small splinter in in your brother's eye, but you've got this beam, and you don't even notice. I like how he says it. You don't even, but you you don't even notice. Not that, that you recognize that you've got a beam in your eye, but you're still trying to do something foolish. You don't even notice. And, it, and so the beam is in my eye. How do I not even notice? And that's the hip- hypocrisy here going on here. You're, you're, you're being self-righteous, self-deceived, and prideful that you don't even notice that you're this huge beam. And, and, and so not only do you not know, not able to take out the, the – be able to see and take out the splinter that's in your brother's eye – Without damaging him, you don't even notice that there. So that's that's what's interesting in this passage. Um, this beam is not just a stick. It's not just a. And I, I like the fact that it says beam of wood. I, I'm not sure what some of the other translations may have. Um, but I, w- I was reading up on this word, and I guess Josephus. Uh, are you familiar with this? Josephus' use of the word. Josephus um, in the first century used the same word to describe the masts of the ships that Vespasian would use as battering rams mm. and i thought mm, how fitting because that's kind of what you do if you've got a beam in your eye and you're reaching to try to try to take out that splinter in your your brother's eye you're going to end up using your beam as a battering ram against your brother here and you're going to end up causing more harm than you would any good and you won't be able to you can't see you've got a wrong you got one perspective because you got a beam in one eye here and you're trying to trying to see and you got a wrong perspective you're going to end up tearing that brother to shreds is that the idea here that you see that it's going to cause harm to this person? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you have absolutely no business right. uh, helping your brother out there with his little splinter when uh, when you have the beam. You, you can't do it well, and, and you're a, a hypocrite. You, It's over and over again, Jesus warns about hypocrisy. I remember uh, one time a, a, a woman who had just come from a conference on bitterness— and uh, this woman is one of the most bitter people I've ever seen in my life. And uh, she got on the phone immediately after the conference and started calling all these people who needed to hear this conference. And they needed to buy the book that she had purchased. <laughs> and I, 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 I mean, I was excited when I heard she was going to the conference. Uh-huh. And then watching that response, I thought she really thinks everybody else needs this but she doesn't need it mm. at all mm. and uh, and I know a couple of the gals that she called and I thought as far as I can tell they don't have a bitter bone in their body they <laughs> they they don't even have this 
her eye, but she's got this huge plank. You know, this is the guy who who castigates uh, everyone in the church for not giving enough or whatever, and then you find out later he has never given a penny to the church. And uh, we could go on and on with with illustrations. Uh, and and that's Jesus is just saying that's the sign of hypocrisy when you don't see. You're so blind. How many times they call them blind guides? He he he. Uh, the passage I'm preaching on this week in uh, in our sermon series on John. Uh, it's the blind man. And yeah. at the end of that passage in John chapter nine, uh, the Pharisees say we're not blind. And Jesus says the very fact that you think you're not blind shows that you are blind. You know, was it C.S. Lewis that talked about the uh, the 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 blind spot? Um, seemed like there was another word that he attached to that, but we all all have our blind spots that we don't see. That's why it's so important to have other people that we trust and who yes. love us who are willing to say, "Hey, buddy, I see this going on in your life." I see this this beam sticking out of your eye, which you clearly can't see, but but you, you might want to remove it because uh, uh, everybody else sees it. You're whacking people with it. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, Jesus, there's there's just seems verse three. He's he's asking a question, and 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 I think it's a call to to for, for examination. He's just why do you, why do you look at the splinter? And, he's, and we're going to learn later on verse five. The answer is hypocrisy. Um, he calls them hypocrites, and we we said before the word hypocrite means hypocrite means play actor, pretender. Um, and, and in this case, it, it seems that the, uh, the 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 hypocrite is a pretend doctor, is is pretending to be the the, the qualified physician. But given his situation, he's actually the patient. He should be the patient that he should be looking at as 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 the one who needs to to have help in removing this this beam that's in his own eyes. But he's he's does not see himself as the patient. He sees himself as the doctor who's coming to fix everybody else. Um, and then his, in verse four, uh, just just there's <laughs> just the shock and the, of, of the absurdity in Jesus' voice is, is how how can you say to your brother, "Let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, the beam of wood is in your own eye." I love. It. I can just hear him going, "How in the world? How in the world can you be saying that?" Um, and this, but it's what's interesting is he seems to be addressing this. Like I said, to brothers, and before he's been calling out the Pharisees on their hypocrisy, the Pharisees and the scribes, and now he's telling his own disciples um, uh, to, 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 to be aware of this and to call them out to examine themselves for hypocrisy. Uh, it, this is evidently a real danger for, for Christians who are pursuing Christ um, to get derailed by Satan to turn their eyes off of, of Christ when they're doing righteous deeds and turn it on to themselves. And I think the problem is, is, is once we turn it on ourselves, then we start being like in, in, in uh, Luke 18, as we were talking about last time, is that Pharisee who not only thought that the dual thing of a hypocrite is to think himself self-righteous, but look down upon others. And that's what seems to be going on right here is this guy's got a beam on in his eye. He elevates himself. And because of that, being he looks down on others because he thinks that he's up to a certain standard uh, in God's eyes because of his his righteous deeds. Well, yeah, he's uh, he's he's doing the first two chapters of the sermon right. He's perfect <laughs> as 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 we get close to that perfection, we're to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. And uh, so now I look around and say, hey, you know, I pray, I pray the Lord's prayer every day. I, I pray mm -hmm. just like Jesus tells me to, and and I give. Now I don't make a show of it i don't i don't i don't let anybody know how much i'm giving but i give a lot and and i fast 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reaching all of these uh, pinnacles that Jesus lays out. I am seeking first his right. kingdom and his righteousness. And now Jesus needs to say, hey, man, get, get off your horse here, your hobby horse, your, your high horse, rather. Um, be very careful mm-hmm. as you see others and you start deciding uh, what they're doing and not doing. I, I made this mistake in a, in a totally different realm just yesterday. Um, I picked up my son. He's working uh, for a landscaper this summer. Uh-huh. He's uh, he's 14, uh, by far the youngest uh, of the whole crew, which I'm you know, proud of him. He's and so I picked him up and uh, they weren't done yet. So I had to sit there for 45 minutes or so as they were uh, uh, finishing up the job. It was the last day they needed to they had to do all the cleanup and stuff. And there was this uh, guy that I didn't know. I hadn't seen him, hadn't met him before. And uh, he's well, uh, put it this way. When my son got in the truck and we finally came home, I said, that guy over there looked pretty worthless. I've been sitting here for an hour and he had a push broom, and I don't think he moved hardly any dirt. He had a shovel for a while, and my son finally took the shovel out of his hand and you know took over. And <laughs> said, basically, I can't believe that they're paying that guy because because uh, yeah. pretty much worthless. And my son looked at me and said, "You have no idea. He has worked all of us under the table today. Uh-huh. He is exhausted, uh-huh. and he took a shorter lunch break than everybody." And I just thought, "Huh? How quick was that?" judgment of yeah right right? and not knowing the full story not seeing seeing the whole picture and uh and i had formulated an opinion uh without all the information a a bad decision and uh, i'm i'm number one ashamed that i that i said that out loud to my son uh but i was i was pleased that he quickly defended him and said no no you don't understand um, and, and we, we do that so quickly, so easily we make our judgments about people based on what we see here and there. And usually we're the standard, you know, I'm, I don't remember this, but I would imagine I'm sitting there thinking, man, if I had that shovel, I do it twice as fast or three right. times as fast. Right. And, man, right. we'd be out of here by now. We'd be done. We'd, right. we'd be home an hour ago. Right. He would just actually apply himself. Well, it turns out he had applied himself plenty and he was exhausted. Right. And it, it, it reminds me of, of, of Christ saying that he, you do these things in secret for for the gaze of your father and not for everybody else. I mean, he, he did those things not in your presence, but because you didn't see him, you drew a conclusion. And that's some I think it's how that's a struggle that we have to we we have in, in, in the churches sometimes is is we don't see certain people doing certain ministries or practicing their, their righteousness. And uh, we know what we've done. For instance, uh, say for instance, uh, I, I do I do X amount of time in the Bible every morning, uh, first thing when I get up in the morning, and um, but I see someone post on Facebook as soon as I get off, and I oh that's they didn't have a quiet time. I <laughs> they could have gotten up two hours earlier than you, or they could have done it at a different time, or whatever. You see what I'm saying? But I'm I'm holding to, holding them to my standard that I've made for myself, and, and judging them by that. So that's that's where the hypocrisy comes in, and I think that we we've got to be on guard against that. You know, let me ask you another question about. The two the two pieces of uh, of uh, debris in people's eyes. You got a splinter here, and you got a beam. Now the question that arises naturally then is is uh, are are we talking about degrees of sin here? Because this guy's got a small piece of wood in his eye. Uh, the other guy's got a beam in his eye that prevents him from going to his brother. If he had a splinter in his eye, also could he say, "Hey, let's work on this together"? Or what, are we so are we talking about degrees of sin? We're we're, we're um, um, I'm not sure what what good example it is, but um, where where someone maybe uh, um, 
I don't know. I don't know. I can't. An example's not coming off the top of my head. But are we talking about degrees of sin here? Uh, I don't think so. At least not as the primary point. I mm-hmm. think he's using hyperbole, this this exaggerated right. imagery, to to make his point. Right. Uh, again, as we as we put even the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and certainly the rest of the New Testament teaching here, um, you know, if I see a brother who appears to be committing adultery, mm-hmm. that is no splinter, right? That is on the list of those things keeps someone out of the kingdom. So uh, there's no way I can call that a little thing. And I must, I'm obligated by the Lord to go and call him to repentance on that. But, uh, and, and let's say I've, you know, I, well, I don't have to just say this. This is true. I've never committed adul- adultery, but have I lost it in my heart? Sure. Right. And we've already talked about that in the previous previous passage. So I need to be humble when I go and address him and be concerned for his righteousness, not comparing him to me. So like you were just describing, you know, you're, you did your quiet time. Those guys haven't. It's e- it would be easy for me to go confront that guy and come with a very haughty spirit. Look, I've never committed adultery. Ha ha ha. I'm wonderful. But you pagan, Man. you horrible, you're on the edge of, of catastrophe here, as opposed to saying, okay, I haven't done that. I haven't done the physical act, but I have pursued in my own lusts, uh, things that are not pleasing to the Lord. And that, could keep me out of the kingdom. That that shows my need of, of the gospel as much as this guy's, I should say. Mm. And and so that's there's a humility there. So in that scenario, it's not true that I have a splinter and he has a log. Uh, if we're going to talk about the weight of sin, then his is the log and mine is the splinter. But that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is, I need to be careful and examine myself. And mm-hmm. this is why I think Paul says, uh, be careful not to fall into temptation. I need to think, okay, before I go address him, Let's make sure I'm sexually pure. I'm devoted to my wife. And it doesn't mean I have to, well, you know, not address it for six months while I build my marriage even better. It just means if there's any unconfessed sin or sexual sin in my life, I may not be the right guy to go approach him. If I go with that arrogant spirit, then I'm proving that I don't see things that we really are. I look at his sin as far worse than mine. Again, God is the ultimate judge. So is adultery worse than occasionally taking the second glance at the pretty girl yes by by for sure that's worse uh taking the second glance will not rule me out of the kingdom adultery will rule that guy out of the kingdom but perspective i should look at my sins like they're really big and someone else's as not as big with the obvious exceptions of the ones the bible calls really big and they need to be addressed but it really does come back to my perspective my attitude uh i i, I need to examine myself before i go around throwing other people on the the righteous bus mixing yeah. a lot of images and metaphors and figures of speech there it means nothing <laughs> but you know what i mean yes i do all right <laughs> so he, so jesus wraps it up though it, with with after telling us the, the wrong way to do to to correct your brother uh with 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 Verse 5, it says, first take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, we'll go on to in a minute. But he, so he, he does encourage us to, to come without a hypocritical nature to us, a hypocritical, self-righteous, prideful attitude, and to try to assist the, 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 the brother to remove the splinter in his eye. I think it's important to understand that this is, this is a family uh, issue. This is, this, these are families. Uh, members who are, who are lovingly coming to one another. And if we do love each other, we should help each other to overcome sin in each other's lives. We, we, we see um, that this is not a case where he's saying that 
we're not supposed to be discerning. Uh, we see in a few verses later that that uh, Jesus is going to call us to be discerning against false teachers and, and false prophets, and 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 then even in, we we know in it, uh, Matthew chapter eighteen, Jesus calls the people to his people to exercise discipline within their their community of the church to um, uh, try to correct and bring someone back to uh, righteousness, and ultimately if it, if if they don't repent, that they're to be to be excommunicated. Um, but folks have to understand is, is is within this community we don't ignore or turn a blind eye to sin in each other's lives. We're to lovingly, with with eyes clear, um, here with beam removed, to try to lovingly help others overcome sin in their life. Uh, is, is that what I'm seeing here? Yeah, it's a hopeful verse. Actually, there's mm-hmm. there's hope for us to remove the log or the, the beam from our eye and, and, uh, see clearly what's going on in our brother. So that's a good thing. And yes, we all need that. That's what I was saying earlier. We all need a brother who first takes the log out of their own eye and then comes and says, Hey, I noticed this. Can we talk about this? Cause I know you want to serve Christ and this may be a way that, that you're not serving Christ. Right. And, uh, I just was flipping over to Hebrews, the writer there. I referred to this or alluded to it earlier, but, uh, this is, and it's a strong, strong statement. This is uh, chapter 3, verse 12 and uh, following. Take that there not be in any one an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So there's, there's the command to you and me, don't fall away. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So there he gives the command to us as individuals to make sure that we don't fall away. And then he says we're to encourage one another and take responsibility that none of us fall short of the goal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that means I've got to be aware of, of what you're doing and you've got to be aware of what I'm doing. We, that's, this is why uh, you know the going to a church on Sunday morning for the big show and then going and living the rest of your life, it just doesn't cut it. You have to be in a group uh, where there are people, small groups or whatever, uh, how, uh, whatever way your church does it. But there has to be for community and for others to see what's going on in your life. We don't do anybody—you don't do yourself any good— to hide right. your struggles, your frustrations, your your temptations from others, because that means no one is calling you to repentance and rebuke, and the people drift away. That's another word the Hebrew writer uses: we drift away. Um, we we have to hold each other accountable. But before you do that, you need to make sure that your eye is clear. Let's move on to verse six. Um, it's it's this is a controversial well not controversial it's just much debated one I think uh, because it seems to me that we're the the previous verses were, were talking about relationships amongst brothers this one moves more into dealing with those who who are hostile toward the kingdom um, verse six says says um, and I, I think it's interesting how it's, it's lumped in together with these previous passages uh, in most chapter headings they they put this in there and I think it may be separate it says. Uh, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. He just got finished saying that that for the brothers, you're supposed to, to uh, help them remove uh, the splinter out of their eye. And then he starts talking about uh, dogs and pigs and that which is holy and and uh, pearls. 
do you, do you see a transition of, of, of who he's referring to here? He's not talking about brothers in Christ being dogs and pigs, is he? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, we're, we're skewed in our culture because, you know, dog is man's best friend mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and every boy wants a puppy and they're tame and they're groomed well. And, uh, you know, you can even have their teeth brushed and they're just uh, pleasant little creatures. Uh, the, the dog are much more like, uh, you know, wild coyotes mm -hmm. or any kind of, uh, mangy, uh, savage kind of beasts that, uh, will, will, you do not want to meet when you're walking around. And, uh, and these pigs or these swines maybe think more of a wild boar or something. And they're certainly... Uh -huh. For the Jew, of course, they were uh, the the uh, a of unclean animals. So yeah, he's he's talking about uh, uh, they could be professing believers, but he would not be referring to true Christians as dogs and pigs right. here. Right. Yeah. These are, these aren't domesticated pet dogs. This is these are wild uh, dogs. And if, I think uh, if I'm right, this this word uh, how do you pronounce it? Is it kuon kuon kuon? For the for this uh, type of dog, yeah, for dog, yeah, I think it's something like Kuon, something like that. This this specific reference to this dog, this type of dog, but it's also the same word that, that Luke uses for the dog that's it's licking the leper's wounds in uh, Luke uh, sixteen. So yes. it, it's not a dog that oh, um, yes. uh, it's 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 licking the wounds, and um, so it shows no distinction for between you know pus and blood from a wound uh, to to to. The, a meat from a king's table. So here he is. He's saying, "Don't, don't throw that which is holy, or, or the, the, don't throw, um, uh, don't give what is holy to these type of dogs. You can't discern between a leper's sore and and the holy what that which is holy." Um, and it, and I think, um, whoop. Hey, guess what? I just got. You probably got it too. The California. Oh wait, no, you're not here, so you don't get it. The test of the California earthquake warning system. So just just let you know we're we're right now we're testing an emergency earthquake system. So there we go. All right, um, <laughs> right in the middle of the podcast. Um, so so he's saying that you're not supposed to give, and then we'll come back to what is holy. But whatever is holy, you're not supposed to give to these dogs. And it, dogs is a derogatory term uh, in in the scriptures. The, the 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 Gentiles were sometimes called dogs, but I don't think that's what necessarily is referring to here. Um, the the pig we know is an unclean animal. Uh, you can't get away from the scriptures without thinking of pigs in the Old Testament as unclean. They I, I don't know if you've ever raised a pig before. Have you ever have you ever had <laughs> no? Pigs? I've never okay. raised a pig. I, I gotta admit, admit uh, I was I was the FFA president in the the chapter of my school in the middle of Los Angeles when I was a high schooler, okay, in Los Angeles. And we had an agriculture area, and I raised some pigs. And, um, yeah, if you if you don't like messing this, you you just, you don't, don't, don't uh, even consider raising a pig. I, I know these people have these little house pigs and stuff, but they have to <laughs> constantly do maintenance to keep those things from, and training those things to, to, to not uh, mess up their house. But uh, pearl, pigs are, pigs are, are, are nasty animals, and they, they'll eat rocks, they'll eat um, uh, anything that you put in front of them. But here he's not necessarily talking about eating them. He's talking about them trampling the pearl underneath their feet and and then turning upon you. So dogs, pigs, I'm, I'm taking that as kind of a, the similar thing here as, as they're both unclean, um, both uh, um, uh, wild, uh, unfit animals. And then holy and pearls, I would see those as, as, as being the same thing here. Um when we look in the, in the scriptures here, specifically in Matthew, he later on refers to the pearl 
uh, uh, pricelessness as being the, the kingdom. So is that what we're saying here is, is don't, don't give or, or toss what is the message of the kingdom to these who are hostile to it? Yeah, I think it would apply to anything that is truly set apart. That's what holy means, set apart mm -hmm. for Christ. But the most precious of all is the gospel and the, and the truth of who Jesus is and, and the kingdom. So uh, that would be sort of the first application. And then I think it does extend to other, or at least can extend to other sacred things. But uh, that would be the heart of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I've, I've personally taken this passage to heart uh, because of, of doing street evangelism where I'll have folks come up and I'll be preaching the gospel and in order to try to prevent me from continuing on, uh, they will say, hey, uh, can we talk? And, and it, it's a tactic. I, I've learned this over the years. Uh, some of these folks, I'll, I'll, I will stop preaching in a heartbeat so that I can talk one-on-one -on -one with somebody. And they will engage me in a conversation and try to wrap me up for a long period period of time and then ask me just silly questions um, that they, they're smiling and smirking. They know the, their an the answer or they're just asking it to be silly. But there's these guys out there who are, who are, who are hardcore atheists uh, or cult members, and they want to get into these, these uh, uh, fruitless debates and, and try to um, just – they're just very hostile and they're wrapping up your time. And, and it, it comes to a point where I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to move on and continue to preach or talk to someone else because I think it'd be more fruitful. I, I can see you're hostile and you 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 are not submitting to the authority uh, of the scriptures. So therefore, I'm going to go ahead and move on and 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 proclaim the gospel to those who, who Christ might be working on um, at this time. And 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 we see that in, in Matthew chapter 10, where just a few chapters later, Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples to go into a village and, and those who don't receive the message, they're just supposed to shake off the dust from their feet and keep on going to someplace else that will. And let me ask you a question, a practical question in regards to that is, is um, and I hear this all the time, people ask this question, is say I've been witnessing to a family member, a coworker, um, a friend for years, and um, it, it, they've been unresponsive. In fact, you may have a, a, one of them say, you know what, just stop, please, just stop. At that point, what should I do? Should I continue to proclaim the gospel to them, or should I just shake off my, my feet, uh, shake off the dust of my feet? And just go on to someone else, or just, or, or what, one and done type thing for them, or, or, or should I persist in it? Yeah, there I think you're you're gauging uh, the relationship, and uh, you don't want to ruin your opportunity to have a hearing. At the same time, you should persist and not just uh, take no for an answer. But what you just described is a far cry from what Jesus describes mm -hmm. as trampling it and turning yeah. and tearing you to right. pieces. Right. If they are hostile and aggressive towards you then you're done. We see right. Jesus doing it. Uh, Paul did it. You know, as soon as the Jews turned on, turned on him in a synagogue, then he would go to the Gentiles. Uh, and when the Gentiles turned on him, then he'd go to the next city, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, we should be persistent. And we've all heard testimony people who have labored year after year after year with one person, one family mm -hmm. member, one mm -hmm. individual, whatever. And then toward the end of their life, the Lord brings them to himself, which, yeah. you know, that's great. But if, if they're belligerent towards you and what you're saying, and and there's no tension there, and it's clearly a waste of time because right. their hearts are so hardened, then uh, you're you're relieved of duty in that sense. Yeah. Um, but that's different from someone who just says, look, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. That's right. not belligerent. Right, right. I think you hit it perfectly. It's, it's those who are... Who are... Uh, not just saying no or unresponsive um, that you still have a relationship with. It's those who literally 
turn on you and 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 will begin to be hostile toward uh, the gospel message at that point in time and toward you as well. Um, and I notice he says he says they'll tear you to pieces. It's not just the it's just not the 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 message or the, not just that which is holy or the pearls they've they've trampled on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about a pig, you know, the trampling something under the mud and mire and poop and everything that's in their cage. Um, uh, they come and they tear at you. Now they're now they're attacking you. So there's there's some violence in that way. Not necessarily not necessarily physical, but there's a hostility toward uh, you as well at that point in time. This is similar to Jesus saying, "Be wise as serpents mm-hmm. and innocent as doves." Uh, innocent as dove means you're not out to hurt somebody else, but the wise as serpents, I think, means you know what do serpents do when danger comes? They they know when. <laughs> well. They don't always know when, when the lawnmower comes by, but they, they'll get, they'll hide in the cracks. They will mm-hmm. try to avoid uh, being exposed to that kind of danger. And that's right. not cowardice. And that's not, uh, you know, Jesus also said, if you are afraid to confess me before men, I'll, I won't confess you before the Father. So obviously there's a place to stand firm, w- but that's a different context, a different intent than if, if, if people hear what you're saying, and they flat out reject it. You're not refusing to hold to the beliefs. You're just saying it's better for everybody, better for the kingdom if I avoid being taken out here. Um, there will be a time, you know, Paul, Peter, the others, they did it, and there'll be there's a time for all of us, maybe, mm-hmm. where we need to stand and face the persecution. But there's also a time to just say, yeah, this is fruitless. I should just uh, tuck away and and find another another audience. All right, Doug. Well, we, I think that was a, a good exposition of of that passage there, and I think it's it's helpful for a lot of folks to, to see what's really in that text there. Too oftentimes, again, it seems like the Sermon on the Mount is is a um, is a field for people to pick a lot of texts out of context. And uh, I hope folks are, are understanding that when these verses like "Do not judge" are taken in the context, they they actually mean something quite different. Than what many people are espousing that they do. So, um, folks, we're going to wrap it up here for our look into the Sermon on the Mount for today. Join us next week when we're going to actually try to finish up the rest of Chapter Seven and bring this into uh, to a conclusion. You're going to want to stay with us, especially if you've been sticking with us so far and you've heard about the inclusio that happened back in Chapter Five, because we're going to hit the inclusio in Chapter Seven, where Jesus is putting the bookends on on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up for you next week, hopefully, if we can get it all in there. And uh, so uh, we pray that this has been a blessing to you. And uh, Doug, any final words? Nope. Nope. Just don't want to say like— First the kingdom. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, take the beam out of your eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so go, go take that beam out of your eye. Hey, if you want to find out what beam you got in your eye, just you know, ask your wife or your— um, <laughs> your close friends. Hey, what kind of beam do I have in my eye? <laughs> They'll be happy to tell you in love. <laughs> all right, folks. We want to thank you for joining us. Uh, you can like, share, subscribe, all that type of good stuff. Um, we want feedback from you. I've got a few questions from you, and I am going to be asking the Doug. I was going to ask him to him uh, at the end of the the last podcast. We'll see if we've got time for that, but eventually I will get those in there. I'll slip them in. in, Sometimes you guys have asked questions and I've slipped them in during the middle of an episode, so be listening. Uh, Your questions are being answered. And folks, uh, please share these episodes. Get the word out that we're trying to put out there some good, solid, biblical understanding of the scriptures. 
Um, and uh, we, we, we uh, in, in, thank you for the encouragement. We get emails. We get feedback from you guys. Keep it coming. It's helpful to know where we should be aiming at in our discussions. And we've got some new topic, uh, a, a new topic lined up for you coming up pretty soon. So after we finish this, this series on the Sermon on the Mount, we'll be starting something else soon that I think that you're going to be really interested in. We're working on the details of that right now. So uh, stay tuned for that. Folks, thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, we want to encourage you to live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. God bless. Free from the law, a happy condition. Jesus has bled, and there is remission. Cursed by the law, and bruised by the fall, grace has redeemed us once and for all. Once and for all, oh sinner, receive it. Once and for all, oh brother, believe it. Cling to the cross, the burden will fall. And Christ has redeemed us once and for all.